We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant the church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Folks, go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're in Deuteronomy. Now, the kids in Kids Zone can probably tell you Deuteronomy is near the beginning. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, chapter 6. We'll be reading verses 1 through 9. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. And that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. And that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your encouragement to love you with our whole heart. And Lord, we invite you this morning, right now, would you move on our hearts, make our hearts soft, let our necks bend, open our mind, open our eyes as we hear your word. Pray that your word would speak through Ryan Lewis this morning, and you would accomplish what you will. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Amen. Uh, good morning, church. Um, happy to uh, to be here today and, and talking with you over the live stream. I have to confess, it's a, a little bit uh, different um, than the than the last time I preached. Uh, you know, Kristen uh, is always a good source of feedback for me, and one thing she says is to to be a little more conversational uh, in in the sermon. And uh, right now, I'm staring at a a webcam. Uh, trying to be conversational with the with the webcam, so definitely miss uh, just being around you guys and, and, and miss our. Again, we just miss you guys. So, uh, well, 
we'll try to work this technology as, uh, as best we can, but uh, I'd like to begin this morning uh, with a true story of a young minister set in the time of another pandemic. The world grappled with a third cholera epidemic between 1846 and 1860, and Russia alone, over one million people died. One particular outbreak, the 1854 Broad Street outbreak, occurred in a single neighborhood in London. Most people at that time thought they could get cholera uh, just by breathing the air. Uh, so many of those who were sick or dying suffered in isolation as a result. People refused to visit them for fear of catching the disease. Nearby, just outside the quarantine zone, they've been doing quarantines for a long time during pandemics, uh, but just outside the quarantine zone was the New Park Street Chapel. Its young pastor quickly resolved to visit those suffering from the disease. He felt it was his duty to care for the afflicted and to bring Christ to them in their time of need. The young minister soon found himself visiting the sick and dying, including members of his own congregation, day and night. It took all of his energy. When he wasn't visiting them, he was officiating funerals. To give you an idea of just sort of how busy he was during this time, just in a three-day stretch in this single neighborhood, over 127 people died. Over a span of 10 days, over 500 people died. Again, many of those were from his own congregation. The young man, minister tired, and as he later wrote, he grew sick at heart. He began to wonder if the weariness he was feeling was due to the disease taking root inside of him. The many funerals and conversations with the languishing were taking their toll. One day, while returning from a funeral, he came across a shop window with a peculiar paper posted on it. The sign caught the young minister's eye, and it, as it didn't look like an advertisement or a trade paper that he'd seen before. So his God-given curiosity drove him to walk over uh, to read this sign, and written boldly on it, it contained Psalm 91, 9 through 10. It said, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. The pastor later reflected in his autobiography on seeing God's word posted on the shop window, and he said, The effect on my heart was immediate. Faith appropriated the passage as her own. I felt secure, refreshed, Girt with immortality, I went on with my visitation of the dying in a calm and peaceful spirit. I felt no fear of evil, and I suffered no harm. The providence which moved the tradesman to place those verses in his window, I gratefully acknowledge, and in the remembrance of its marvelous power, I adore the Lord my God. Now the pastor would go on to explain a Christian can die from illness, but he or she does not need to dread death because in it we have everything to gain. It is this thought that carried him as he went on caring about the sick uh, and the dying. The young minister's name was C.H. Spurgeon, one of the most noted and faithful preachers of his day. His ministry continues to impact generations well beyond his own. The faithful obedience of that shopkeeper to post the word of God in his window 
allowed Spurgeon to put those words on his heart. And he went on caring for those who were afflicted in that horrible pandemic. So, you know, kind of set the scene a little bit. We've been looking at Second Chronicles in our revival series the past few months. This morning, we're going to look at Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9, which Peter just read, as we transition to the new sermon series next week that Mike mentioned earlier. The passage contains one of the most quoted scriptures of all time, one called the Great Shema. Here we are instructed to recognize God is the only true God and to love him with all our heart, soul, and strength. We're taught to put God's command on our doorpost, similar to that shopkeeper in London. We're encouraged and told to have them on our hearts, as C.H. Spurgeon did. Before we dive into the text, let's take a step back to look at what's going on in the Bible at this time the passage was was written. Normally when we're, we're, we're opening a book for the first time, I give a little bit of background information. So I, I want to do that right, right now briefly for this, for this passage uh, because it sets up uh, what is being communicated by the Holy Spirit through Moses here. Uh, the Israelites have been wandering in the wilderness for almost 40 years. Now, after being freed by God from slavery in Egypt, and despite seeing miracle after miracle and hearing the voice of God at Mount Sinai, the Israelites continually complain and set their hearts towards idols. The first generation has almost completely died off. Moses is also reaching the end of his life. The Israelites find themselves just outside the promised land and are about to find themselves with a new human leader. Moses begins a, a series of farewell sermons to remind the Israelites of God's faithfulness, their unfaithfulness, and what the law requires of them in their covenant with God. He gives them repeated warnings to fear God and obey his commandments. Moses also encourages them to trust God in his promises and go into the promised land, something they had avoided years earlier when the spies returned. The Israelites needed a lot of reminding. In chapter 5, Moses re-gives the Ten Commandments. He then tells them how they feared God at the mountain and did not want to hear the voice of, of God any longer for fear of death. God's response to the, the Israelites' fear is recorded in, in chapter 5, verse 29. It says, Oh, that they had a heart such as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. As a result of their fear, God tells Moses to send them back to their tents, and then he will give Moses all the statutes and rules to teach them. This is where we pick up today in chapter 6. Verses 1 to 3, Moses reminds the Israelites that what he's about to teach them was commanded by God on the mountain. It's the part after the Ten Commandments. Moses says his purpose in teaching them is, they will, is for them to obey them in the promised land, that they and their descendants will fear God by doing them their entire lives. He wants them to have a long life, blessed by relationship with their God. Moses repeats himself in a pleading manner. His message is urgent and carries the utmost weight. What he is about to teach, starting in verse 4, is the very core of their covenant relationship with God. 
Now, it, it might be helpful before getting to my main points if we pause for a moment and discuss this whole concept of fearing the Lord. For some, this might invoke some cartoon-like image of an angry God waiting to send lightning uh, our way as soon as we mess up. For others, they might question why they should fear God when he says he loves us. How could any type of healthy relationship require one person to fear the other? What does the Bible mean when it says we should fear the Lord? The answer to this, request, to this question requires us first to understand what the Bible means by the word fear in this context. There are three primary types of fear addressed in the scriptures, holy, healthy, and harmful. Harmful fears are those keeping us from fulfilling God's purpose for our lives. Healthy fears are those keeping us from harm. An example is, is a child afraid of a chainsaw. We kind of want them to be because those are, those are pretty dangerous to their, uh, to their health. The fear of the Lord, however, is a holy fear. As Chris Benfield put it, the fear of the Lord means to stand in awe, to revere or reverence, to be stricken with a deep sense of honor, reverence, awe, and worship. Our reverence leads us to obey God's command. To be clear, obedience and fear can result from being afraid of God's judgment. But genuine fear of the Lord moves beyond simply recognizing God's authority as judge and moves us to reverent obedience. Having defined the fear of the Lord, let's move on to our main discussion. Uh, today's message has four main points. Uh, if you're following along, uh, those are hearing God, expected fidelity, all-in hearts for God, and righteous Savior. The timeless truth for today is there is only one true God, and we need Jesus' righteousness because we are unable to wholeheartedly love him and perfect obedience because of our sin. So point number one, hearing God. As a parent, my children's selective hearing drives me nuts sometimes. I ask them to do something like clean up their room, put away their toys, or any other activity uh, in which they selfishly hope to avoid. And it's, it seems to just go in one ear and out the other at times. It can require multiple requests and sometimes either the promise of discipline or the actual application of it uh, before the request is done. It shouldn't be this way, but we all sin as a result of, of Adam's sin uh, in the garden in the great fall. And our kids are no different. In verse 4, Moses starts out saying, Hear, O Israel. The word here is slightly different uh, here than it is in verse 3. The Hebrew word uh, here is Shema, hence the name the Great Shema for this passage. It is more holistic meaning than just simply receiving auditory information in your ear. So it's not just about physical hearing. Uh, it requires action upon hearing. It requires obedience to what is being asked or stated. It could be said, listen and obey. Uh, or translated, listen and obey. James 1.22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Sometimes us grown-ups can have a problem obeying someone else's instruction because we think we know better. 
In a lot in how life imitates the World Series, Dave Boswell tells a story about Earl Weaver, former manager of the Baltimore Orioles. Sports fans will enjoy how he handled star Reggie Jackson. Now I know some of my uh, uh, illustrations here from sports are a little old, but we're all watching sports on rewind right now. Uh, uh, anyway, so um, Weaver had a rule that no one could steal a base unless the, the steal sign was given. This upset Jackson because he felt he knew the pitchers and catchers well enough to judge who he could steal off of and who he couldn't. He decided that one game to steal without a sign. He got a good jump off the pitcher and easily beat the throw to second base. As he shook the dirt off his uniform, he smiled with delight, feeling he had vindicated his judgment to his manager. Later, Weaver took Jackson aside and explained why he hadn't given the steal sign. First, the next batter was Lee May, his best power hitter other than Jackson. When Jackson stole second base, first base was left open, so the other team walked May intentionally. They took the bat out of May's hands because of Jackson's steal. Second, the following batter hadn't been strong against that pitcher, so Weaver felt he had to send up a pinch hitter to try to drive in the men on base. That left Weaver without bench strength later in the game when he needed it. The problem was Jackson saw only his relationship to the pitcher and catcher. Weaver was watching the whole game. We too see only so far, but God sees the bigger picture. When he sends us a signal, it's wise to obey, no matter what we think we may know. We need to listen and obey to actually hear God. And that brings us to, to point number two, expected fidelity. Verse four begins what's called the great Shema. As I said earlier, it says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is a direct statement to the Israelites who had already demonstrated how easy it was for them to worship idols. Here they're being told in no uncertain terms, there's only one God, and he is our God. As the Israelites were about to enter the land of Canaan to possess it, this was particularly important because they were going to encounter the many uh, cultures that occupied that land currently who had multiple gods. They were polytheistic societies. Um, these cultures would often try to please more than one God at a time because, frankly, they were never sure if their God one of their gods cared enough to actually uh, listen or answer that particular day. The fact that the Lord our God is one stands in stark contrast to those polytheistic cultures. And a little bit of technology uh, uh, delay here. Um, So I'm going to pick up my notes because my technology is uh, uh, moving us uh, or keeping us from moving forward. So I uh, apologize for that. So it, it stood in stark contrast to those polytheistic cultures, as I said, and should have been a comfort to the Israelites. Now I'm going to take a time out right here and ask, what's wrong with these people? Really, you were delivered from slavery. You saw the Red Sea split in two, and you were able to cross it, and Pharaoh's army couldn't. Manna fell from heaven. Water came from rocks. You heard the voice of God in a dark cloud. 
In the midst of all that, how could you possibly even pretend a gold statue of a cow was God? You go on throughout the rest of the Old Testament, and you see the on-again, off-again um, uh, nature of their faithfulness to God. How? Why? Or as my eight-year-old Evan likes to say, wait, what? I had this question until November 11th, 2007. Some of you might be thinking that that's a pretty precise date from 12 and a half years ago. Uh, what happened? Let me explain. Most of you know that, that I, am, I have somewhat of a passion for Ohio State football. Uh, at this point in time, Kristen and I lived in Florida. It was just the two of us. And despite the recent, recent national championship loss at that time to the Florida Gators, uh, I, I still had a giant Buckeye magnet blocko on my truck. I also had a, a unique horn custom installed in my truck that played across the field so loud that cars on the freeway could hear it over the freeway noise. And I tell you the truth, I'm not sure I owned a t-shirt that didn't say Ohio State on it at the time. So the previous day, November 10th, was, a, was actually a, a pretty big day for my marriage. Um, I agreed to TiVo the Ohio State-Illinois game and go with my wife to downtown Disney. I had tried once or twice to record a game. And I'm going to date myself a little further here on VHS. I know I dated myself with TiVo, but uh, there was a time when I tried this on VHS and it didn't actually work so well. Uh, so I was reluctant to try it with TiVo. But it was a big step because it allowed me to, to go spend the day with my wife and, and watch the game later. But truth be told, I, I wasn't actually really that worried about it. Ohio State at the time was the number one team in the country, and they were playing Illinois. Um, so uh, I wasn't concerned until I got home and actually got to watch them lose that particular fourth quarter there. I got to watch them lose on a TiVo. My weekend was ruined. My mood was foul, and I was inconsiderate to my wife. And all the fun that we had had earlier in the day was, was wiped out by my bad mood. I went to bed that way, and the next day at church wasn't much better. Um, during worship and the sermon, my heart was just not in a good place as I sat and stewed over a football game at church. It was then that I realized that I had made Ohio State football an idol. I would put it in front of the one true God. I needed to fix my heart quick. I've seen God do great things in my life, just like the Israelites. My heart, however, worshiped other things ahead of him, including football. I had realized that even though I thought I was different um, than the Israelites, I really wasn't. Idols don't have to be a golden calf. They can be a football team. They can be your kids' activities. They can be your spouse. They can be your cell phone. Anything you put before God is an idol. Don't have enough time for quiet time in the morning? Maybe take a look at your cell phone usage and, and make a change. And, and that brings us to point number three, all in hearts for God. Verse five continues the Shema and says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. The Shema is one of the most significant passages in the Bible, as I said earlier. And in the gospel accounts, Jesus quotes it 
uh, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when an expert of the law uh, was trying to put him to the test by asking, what is the great commandment in all the law? Jesus answered in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law and prophets. Jesus himself calls the Shema the great and first commandment. Obviously, this is something we should hear, or rather listen to and obey. Now, some of you might have noticed that Jesus didn't quote it exactly as it's written in Deuteronomy. You might have noticed he used the word mind. And you might be thinking, did Jesus get it wrong? And the answer is no, no, he didn't. You see, in the Hebrew language, the, the word for heart is a lot different uh, than it is in English. It doesn't just mean our ticker. James Swanson defines it as heart, mind, soul, spirit, self, the source of the inner person in various aspects with a focus on feeling, thoughts, volition, and other areas of inner life. It also involves determination, courage, and will. Uh, to, to wrap that up uh, neatly or put it in short, it's all of what makes you you and God wants all of you to love him not just the church part of you we have to hear God and the next few verses give us an idea of what it means to have an all-in heart for God keeping God's word on your heart uh, verse 6 tells us God's commands are to be on our heart and that we are to teach them diligently to our children the NIV uses the phrase impress them on your children Verses 7 through 9 give us an idea of how to accomplish this command. In verse 7, we are obedient when we end our days uh, with the word of God and seize every possible moment in between. We are to put these words on our heart and teach them to our children by incorporating them in our everyday routines and talk about them. Think about that in, in terms of the current crisis uh, and quarantine with COVID-19. We are to talk about them in our everyday activities. And that, and that brings us to our second application about uh, opportunities all day, every day, um, to love God. As an individual, there, this might mean cutting some activities, going to bed earlier so you can wake up earlier and spend time in God's word. It might mean taking time to process our day in light of scripture with our spouse at night. It might look like taking a walk with your wife and asking her how she's doing spiritually. Look at your day and try to make the word of God part of your daily rhythm. Be creative and put God first. For parents, it means taking advantage of the, the rhythms of life to talk to our children about what the Bible says. It's not just something left to, your, to children's church. God directly makes us responsible as parents in verse 7. And it's not only about structured time. Verse 7 clearly teaches, teaches us that we're to teach our kids in everyday moments. We can buy some of the books uh, that Mike mentioned a couple weeks ago. 
uh, and read them at bedtime, making them a part of our daily life. Uh, the Big Picture Bible, which was one of the books that he mentioned, also has a craft book that goes with it. Uh, if you end the arts and craft times with your kids during quarantine, you can reinforce the lessons and, and give your kids a creative outlet in the process. Uh, this might look like going to a park and just simply teaching the kids what day God made plants or seas or ponds or animals and humans. One important thing to remember, however, is children learn most by observing their parents do versus what they say. If you're not making the Bible a priority in your life, they won't make it one in theirs either. And verses 8 and 9 are about uh, external reminders to internalize God's word and remember it. The Jewish culture would put the Shema and other key verses on objects called phylactery, uh, which you know were simply little boxes that contained passages. Uh, these were either worn, as, a, as the verse says, as a frontlet um, on their head, or it was worn on their arm. And Jesus, uh, or I'm sorry, Jewish cultures also post something called a, a mezuzah on doorposts and gates. My wife used to work at a, at a company that was owned um, by uh, uh, some Jewish folks, and uh, they posted uh, these... Um, mezuzahs on every in front of every door that didn't lead to a restroom or a closet uh, it was everywhere whether you walked into an office or into the floor of the building uh, or into a conference room or into a break room they were they were everywhere um, and that brings us to uh, our next application today which is vow to remember god's word and share it uh, the tradesman had no idea C.H. Spurgeon was going to walk by his shop and see those verses. However, he was faithful and did it, and God used his faithfulness to re-energize Mr. Spurgeon so he could continue sharing the gospel with those uh, who were suffering and comforting them. Uh, there, there are several practical tips for uh, memorizing scripture. Uh, one is you can use an app or uh, technology like the app Remember Me uh, that's available in the, the iTunes store uh, to help you learn the app store. Um, another is uh, to follow what the Bible tells us and post the words up around our house. Talk about them with our families. Uh, some other tools I've used in, is using, well, my work's not going to like this one, but uh, uh I've used scripture references as, as some of the passwords from my previous jobs. You know, sometimes you got to change them uh, as often as every 45 days, some places 60 or 90. Um, and uh, I, I would use scripture references as my password for work at those previous jobs. Uh, for example, when I was having a hard time being motivated one season, I changed my password to remind me of Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Every time I unlocked my PC, I was reminded that I can get to work heartily as for the Lord and, and not for men. And that, that changed my attitude uh, towards uh, what I was doing. I was forced to think uh, to, that I needed to work heartily for the Lord. Uh, of course, you know, now that I've told you guys that, um, I'm going to have to change my passwords uh, to something else, maybe Habakkuk or <laughs> something like that. Um, but uh, at any rate, you get the you get the point, right? It's 
taking the small nuances in our life, and, and Paul, I threw that word in just for you, uh, taking the small nuances of our lives and incorporating God's word into them throughout all those moments uh, of the day. And uh, if we're going to love the Lord our God wholeheartedly, uh, we're going to have to put um, our, our our minds and our hearts towards memorizing his, his word. Um, so that brings me uh, to my fourth point. And just, uh, just as I get there, the fourth point is we need to have um, Jesus as our righteousness. So we need to have a righteous Savior. And uh, as we learn in Romans 5.19, sin was brought into the world through one man, Adam. And we are all born this way, as Romans 3.23 reminds us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The existence of the law validates our um, uh, our sinful nature in terms that no one can keep the law perfectly. It confirms it would be a better way of saying it. We all have idols. None of us uh, has loved God wholeheartedly. Um, we each possess selfishness that prevents us from meeting the perfection uh, that's required of the law. None of us can do this on our own. It doesn't matter how many catechisms we know. It doesn't matter how many verses we, uh, we know in terms of being saved. It doesn't matter how many times we come to church. It doesn't matter if we're uh, quote-unquote good people. As John Edwards once said, you contribute nothing to salvation except the sin that makes it necessary. The law is the checklist none of us can meet except for Jesus Christ. Romans 5.19 states, For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many were made righteous, will be made righteous. Jesus was perfectly obedient. He did not move to the left or right keeping his father's commands. He was obedient even to death on a cross and through his resurrection so that we can be made righteous. We can be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We need a righteous Savior because our sin prevents us from wholeheartedly loving God in the way that we're commanded to. And just by way of one, uh, one final application here is to engage with questions. Uh, Christians sometimes shy away from tough questions. We should welcome them. Uh, a lot of people who are skeptical may still be seeking the truth. They may ask something that um, if we're not really hearing what they're saying, uh, we could take as offensive or get defensive. And that, that does not help. People come to Christ. When people ask us hard questions, questions that should drive us deep into the Word of God, um, we should welcome this because it not only reinforces our own faith, it shows them that the truth uh, really does reside in God our Father and His Son and the Holy Spirit. You know, as Timothy um, Keller would say to, to those that may think that 
something like science is uh, the truth. He's, you know, he said the declaration that science is the only arbiter of truth is not itself a scientific finding. It is a belief. And the reason I bring that quote up is because I know that uh, some of the folks that, that I talk with put a lot of weight on science. And you know what? Science in its purest form is, is in fact, seeking the truth. And those that ask sincere questions in that endeavor, um, we should bring them alongside of us, whether it's walking by the way, whether it's sitting down in a coffee shop, uh, those questions sh should be engaged. And if you are skeptical, you should engage Christians with those questions. Uh, keep seeking the truth. Now, going back to C.H. Spurgeon, uh, in his autobiography, he described some of his encounters with the dying in the 1854 Broad Street uh, cholera, uh, cholera pandemic. Two of those encounters were polar opposites. One he recalls warmly as, as follows. He says, I went home and was soon called away again, that time to see a young woman. She was in her last extremity, but it was a fair, fair sight. She was singing, though she knew she was dying, and talking to those about her, telling her brothers and sisters to follow her to heaven, bidding goodbye to her father, and all the while, all the while smiling as if it had been her marriage day. She was happy and blessed. And, uh, he then goes on to describe uh, a little bit later uh, about a non-Christian who he had encountered in his ministry there. Uh, and he goes to say, uh, that man in his lifetime had been walked to jeer at me. In strong language, he had often denounced me as a hypocrite. Yet he was no sooner smitten by the darts of death then he sought my presence and counsel, no doubt feeling in his heart that I was a servant of God, though he did not care to own it with his lips. I stood by his side and spoke to him, but he gave me no answer. I spoke again, but the only consciousness he had was of the foreboding of terror mingled with the stupor approaching of death. Soon even that was gone, for sense had fled, and I stood there a few minutes, sighing with the poor woman who had watched over him and altogether hopeless about his soul. We will each face death one day. How we face it will depend on how we answer a question. Did we love God with all our hearts by believing he sent his son to save us from our sins? If we answer to that question, let's, let's remember to love God by first looking for and removing our idols by taking opportunities all day, every day to love God, vow to remember God's word and share it with others and engage with questions. If you answered the question, no, continue to engage in questions. I'm gonna go ahead and, and close this in prayer. And I know Joe, you're gonna get ready to, to sing a closing song. Uh, so I'll let you uh, uh, start making your way to, to doing that and Mike getting the uh, live stream set up for that. But why don't I go ahead and close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, gracious God, Lord, we thank you for loving us. We thank you that your love for us is steadfast and wholehearted. Lord, that in our shortcomings, God, you still pursue us. You still love us. Lord, you still draw us close to you. 
Father, we pray for your spirit to help us love you with more of our heart, Lord. We thank you for the gift of your spirit, Lord, and, and for the provision of salvation through Christ's death and resurrection. God, we pray that each and every day when we wake up and as we go about our days, that we'd have your word on our hearts, Lord, that uh, we would talk to each other about you, that we would encourage one another and comfort one another with your word, Father, that we would teach our children well uh, the things that you have taught us in your word, Lord, and prepare them for their own lives as parents later on. Father, for those that um, may not know Christ, Father, we encourage them to continue engaging with questions, to seek the truth in your word, Lord, to not be shy about asking uh, others questions about the Christian faith, Lord, but to honestly and sincerely try to find you. Father, we pray for these things in your son's precious name. Amen. So it looks like we're moving over to Joe. All right. Thank you, Brian. We're going to close in a, an old worship song, um, I Love You, Lord, just to, again, think through what Brian was uh, bringing in the message this morning, that we might love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, oh, my soul, rejoice, take joy, my King. In what you may be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. I love you, Lord, and I live my voice to worship you, oh my soul, rejoice, take joy, my King, in what May be a sweet, sweet sound. May be a sweet, sweet sound. May be a sweet, sweet sound in your ears. May be a sweet, sweet sound. May be a sweet.
in your ears and be lifted up be lifted up be lifted higher be lifted higher be lifted up be lifted higher sing that again be lifted up be lifted higher. Be lifted up. Be lifted higher. Be lifted Be lifted up, be lifted high. Dear God, we thank you this morning for this time we have together to worship you. God, we do pray that you would be lifted up in our praise this morning, God, that you'd be lifted up in our lives. God, that we might have uh, this love for you that we talked about this morning, God that we might love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might. We love you. We thank you in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. I don't know if, Mike, you have anything left before we uh, conclude the live stream this morning? If not, thank you for joining. <laughs>